chapter 13 is where we'll be looking this morning. And you can also bookmark, if you'd like to, Philippians chapter 2. The uh, Philippians text will be on your screen Philippians, in just a minute from Philippians chapter 2. But we'll spend a lot of our time in John chapter 13. Uh, we need to understand a little bit of the significance of the context surrounding the birth of Jesus. God had called out a man by the name of Abraham and had promised to make a great nation of him. And, and the assumption was that the people who were part of that great nation, that they would enjoy a status of, of great privilege, that they would be blessed, that they would experience prosperity, that they would be protected etc etc but by the time that Jesus is born Israel looks much different than it did in its heyday in the Old Testament by the time we get to the birth of Jesus there would not be much understanding or faith in the fact that they are the privileged people of God. It certainly didn't appear to be that way from the outside looking in. They, they were not in charge. They were really not in control of their own destiny. They were being ruled by an empire called the Roman Empire, and they were subjected to that empire, and it looked like that these uh, people of God, this Jewish nation, these Hebrew people, Israel, was not the favored people of God. But God had promised that he was going to bring a Messiah to restore the relationship between his people and himself. And the prophecies in the Old Testament clearly pointed to this Messiah who would come, and the people were looking for a Messiah to come. But the problem was that when this Messiah came, he brought with him some unexpected qualities and characteristics. It's not that a Messiah was unexpected. Everyone expected a Messiah to arrive. It was the kind of Messiah. Messiah that arrived. It was the qualities, the characteristics that this Messiah brought with him that was completely unexpected. And when Jesus was born, he was not the Messiah that many people expected. He was a Messiah. He was the Messiah, but not the expected Messiah that so many people had a preconceived idea of what he would be. The people were looking for a Messiah with, with military acumen, with, with political prowess, uh, with someone with a, a special zeal for the nation of Israel and a special hatred for the rule of Rome or anyone who would stand against God's people, Israel. And so the life and ministry of Jesus and his birth completely brought some unexpected things with it. And in fact, there's a, a good summation of that. It's found in Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 which talks to us about this Messiah and about how Jesus was born. If you see what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8, he gives some qualities of this Messiah. He talked about how this Messiah did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself. We looked last week at that characteristic of humility, but notice what it says, that he also 
took upon him the form of a servant. That's what we're going to look at today. I've titled this series, Unexpected, as we see these characteristics that this Messiah, Jesus, brought with him. And the focus of our attention today is on the unexpected service that Jesus took. The fact that he took upon himself the form of a servant. Philippians 2.7, he takes that form. Now, if anyone was thinking about this Messiah, if anyone was thinking about, you think about someone who is the head honcho, you think about someone who is in charge, the exact opposite you would think was that he would be a servant. You expect the top dog, you expect the CEO, you expect the head honcho to be someone who is served, not someone who serves other people. The expectation expectation would be that this Messiah would demand a service, and yet Jesus embraces this unexpected service in that he's not concerned about being served. He is rather consumed with being a servant. In fact, if you were to ask anyone to use four or five words to describe Jesus, surely one of the words we would use is the word servant. One of the most unexpected moments of Jesus embracing this role of a servant occurs in John chapter 13. Right before the crucifixion process begins, as Jesus gathers his disciples for some final instructions, he takes upon himself the form and the role of a servant, and he does the unthinkable. He does the unexpected. It is so unexpected that it shocks one of his disciples, Simon Peter, to the point that Peter demanded Jesus stop serving. It was so unexpected that it shocked Peter himself. If you know anything about Peter, his mouth was big enough for both feet, right? And for something to shock him to that point, it had to be unexpected. Let's look at our text, John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. 
Simon Peter, being the over-exaggerating, dramatic guy he was, said to him, Lord, <clears throat> not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you were clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you were clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you were right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know the these things, <clears throat> excuse me, blessed are you if you do them. What a moment in which Jesus takes upon himself this form of a servant. And for a few minutes this morning, I want us to look at this incident, to look at this unexpected characteristic, this unexpected quality, these unexpected actions of this Messiah, and see how it impacts our lives today so we can see how we then should impact the lives of others. And to do that, I want to make three statements about what we see taking place in this text. Number one is this, the compassion of Jesus compelled him to serve. The compassion of Jesus compelled him to serve. You, you can't help but notice the emphasis on the love that Jesus had for these disciples in verse 1 when it tells us that when Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Such is the love of God that when Jesus knew that his time on earth was ending and very soon he would surrender his life as a payment for the sins of all people. His thoughts were not for himself. His thoughts were for his disciples. Let me ask you to think about something. If you knew that you were to die tomorrow, upon what would you focus today? Most of us would focus on ourselves. But Jesus didn't focus on himself or what he was about to face. He was focused on preparing his disciples for what they were about to face. This act of Jesus to serve those disciples was fueled by his selfless compassion, by his love. Compare Jesus to Judas because verse 2 tells us that the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Judas was looking out for himself. Judas was concerned with padding his pockets. Judas had compassion on no one but himself. That's why today we don't really name people Jesus in our culture because of Jesus, and we don't name people Judas because of Judas. Jesus is motivated. He's compelled to serve 
by His love. You see, you cannot separate service from compassion. Jesus looked at Simon Peter after Simon Peter had denied him, not once, not twice, but thrice. And Jesus said, Simon, do you love me? And Simon said, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep, serve me. And he asked him a second time, Simon, do you love me? And Simon said, yes, Lord, I love you. And and Jesus said, feed my sheep. And a third time he said, Simon, do you love me? And the scripture says that Simon got a little aggravated, like he had room to get out. The man just denied Jesus three times. But he got aggravated, and he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Our love for Jesus is crystallized in our service for Jesus, just as his love for us is shown in his service for us. Look, I'm not saying that we need to serve others to gain the love of Jesus, I'm saying that when we've received the love of Jesus, we can't help but serve others. In fact, it's when you have a proper grasp of the love of Jesus for you that it compels you to serve others. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, for the love of Christ compels us. It controls us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but we live for him who died for us and was raised again. I want to challenge you this week. I want to challenge you to take some time to sit in and to soak up the love that Christ has for you. Will you allow the compassion of Jesus to move you to serve others and to no longer live for yourself, but for the one who died for you? Because just as it was unexpected for the love of Jesus to move him to serve others, so it is unexpected in this world when the people of God allow his love to move us to serve other people. The compassion of Jesus compelled him to serve. Here's the second thing that jumps out to me from this text. Jesus served the disciples so that he could provide cleansing. The purpose of Jesus serving these disciples was so that he could provide cleansing. Try to get the scene locked in your mind. The disciples were gathered in the upper room. The Passover meal has started. Everyone's there. Then the unexpected happens. Jesus gets up from the table. Jesus takes off his outer garment. Jesus picked up a towel, a towel that was used by the servants, by the slaves, and he wrapped that towel around his waist. Jesus filled a bowl with water. 
he knelt down and he began to wash the feet of each disciple slowly and methodically working his way around that table. That process is repeated in dead silence with each disciple as Jesus unlatches each sandal and sets that sandal aside and then brushes off any excess dirt from those dirty, stinky feet of those men and then splashes water on each foot and massages and, and, and works the dirt off of each and every foot until it is, is clean and then dries them with the towel that is wrapped around his waist. The disciples are shocked. They're not shocked because their feet got washed. Washing the feet of other people when they gathered in such an occasion was fairly customary in their culture. They weren't shocked that their feet were washed. They were shocked by who was washing their feet. I have a question I want to pose to you this morning for you to think about. You ain't got to answer out loud because based on my experience already this morning, you ain't going to. So ponder this question. If it was customary for feet to be washed, why didn't any of the 12 disciples do it? If it was somebody's job, if it was something that happened when you gathered together, then why did none of the 12 do it? Why did the Son of God have to take up that task? <coughs> Luke gives us an answer. The Gospel of Luke gives us a detail that John does not include. Luke informs us that the disciples, being good Baptists, were having an argument. <laughs> and they were fighting, and what they were fighting over was who was going to be the greatest. In fact, Luke <coughs> chapter 22 tells us, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as great. They were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of this servant. How ironic. That's why they weren't taking up the towel. That's why they weren't washing other people's feet. Apparently, no one said anything until Jesus got to Peter. And Peter's like, I'm not standing for this sort of thing. Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. The audacity. Some people say it's humble. That's pretty, pretty prideful for Jesus to tell God, or for Peter to tell God what he is or isn't going to do. And Jesus and Peter said, Jesus, you're going to wash my feet. And he changes his tune, however, when, when Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have fellowship with me. And then in verse 10, look at verse 10 again, Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of salvation. In verse 10, Jesus said to Simon Peter, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Salvation that's connected to service is all about cleansing. And that cleansing involves the sinner and the saint. I want you to notice something. Now, I oftentimes, disclaimer, I rarely do what I'm about to do in a sermon. Rarely do I say, let's look at the Greek word, because I think some preachers think that it makes them sound smarter. But if I, it's not rocket science. If I can do it, Anybody can do it, okay? But so don't think I'm trying to trying to show out because all it takes are eyes, ears, and a book. 
And I want you to notice though something very unique about what Jesus said when he said the one who has bathed does not need to wash. He uses two different words in the Greek. He uses a different word for bathed as he does for wash. The word that he uses for bathed is a Greek word called luo. And that word refers to the cleansing of the sinner. A sinner must be completely cleansed by the blood of Christ in order to be saved. Paul tells us in Titus chapter 3 verse 5, we're not saved by works of righteousness, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. When we first come to Christ, we are spiritually luod. We are spiritually bathed. The Bible calls that justification by faith. It's the washing away of all the guilt and all the sin of our entire lives, past, present, and future. This is a once-for-all-time cleansing that never needs to be repeated. The one who has bathed does not need to wash. The Greek word for wash is different. It's a word called nipto, N-I-P-T-O, and it has a reference to more of a, a spot washing. It is the cleansing of the saint. It carries the idea of finding a spot on someone already clean, finding a spot of dirt, and spot washing that. This refers to the sin that disrupts our fellowship with God. Here's maybe a, a <coughs> better way to, to frame that for, for my understanding at least. It was common in the East for if you were to get invited to go to someone's house for dinner, it was common for you to take a bath before you went. You would take a bath and be completely washed, completely cleansed. And after you bathed, you would walk to the house. Now, as you walked to the house on those dirty streets, they didn't have Nike Reebok, they didn't, that wasn't around then. As you walked to that location in those sandals, those feet would get dirty. So when you got to the host house, they would have someone who would then spot wash the dirt off of your feet. That's the imagery behind what Jesus is saying. Here's what the point that he's making for us. Those who are in Christ are totally justified, but we need constant cleansing from the repeated defilement that sin causes that can disrupt not our relationship with God, but disrupt our fellowship with God. There is no need to be born again and again and again and again. Once is enough, but we do need cleansing the conditional application of Jesus his death to cleanse us from our daily sin. Saturating this act of service is the desire of Jesus to provide cleansing for both the sinner and the saint, for everyone. You see, Jesus will use our service to accomplish the same purpose of cleansing. Through our service to others, we're able to introduce those who are far from God to God. And as we serve Jesus, guess what he does? He spot cleanses us from our sin. The service of Jesus 
is always connected to his desire to provide cleansing. So his compassion compelled him to serve. He served those disciples so he could provide cleansing. Number three is this. In serving the disciples, Jesus issued a challenge to serve others. A challenge to serve others. Look back in John 13 and verse 14 where Jesus said, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. I'm challenging you that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant's not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, which we know them now, we know them today. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus issues a challenge for us to serve others. Remember what those disciples, I told you, I showed you a verse from Luke how they argue with one another about who was to be the greatest. The disciples were willing to fight for a throne, but not a single one of them dared pick up a towel. Following, listen, following Jesus requires that you and I toss aside our thrones and pick up our towels. Don't miss what he said in verse 17. You're not blessed when you think about serving. You're not, you are blessed when you answer your phone in church. <laughs> You're not blessed when you hear a sermon about serving. You are blessed when you do what Jesus said to do. Our calling, our challenge is to serve. And we're blessed when we answer that calling and we respond to that challenge. It is a challenge to serve. One, because we're selfish people, but I don't know that that is the main reason. It's a challenge to serve because when Jesus calls you to wash feet, you don't get to choose whose feet you wash. And nor do you have the authority to skip the feet that Jesus put in front of you. There are 12 disciples at that room. And I paid just enough attention in math to know that 12 disciples times 2 feet a disciple is 24 feet in that room. And Jesus washed them all. Jesus washed the feet of Peter who would deny him. Jesus washed the feet of all those disciples, 11 of the 12, who would desert him. He washed the feet of Judas who would double cross him. When Jesus calls you to serve, you don't get to choose who you serve. You serve who Jesus puts in front of you. During a pastorate of mine, I had quite a difficult time with just a couple of people. One man in particular. Someone later asked me how I thought it could have been resolved, and I said, probably by him getting saved. That would have been a good start. And me changing my attitude.
And there came a time when I just told one of the other trusted men there at the church, W.I. Moss, who has been with Jesus for some time and was a man who just spoke into my life in so many ways. And I said, W.I., I don't know if I can forgive him. I'll be honest with you. I, just, I, I don't know if I can forgive this other person. With the old Mississippi wisdom and drawl that men of his generation had, he said, Preacher, I don't know that God's given you a choice as to who you can forgive or not. How? In the same way, I don't know God's given us a choice as to who we serve or not. May I be honest and transparent with you this morning? I don't mind serving people I like. Man, when you're nice to me, I don't mind being nice to you. When you minister to me, I don't mind ministering to you. Don't look at me like at you the same way. <laughs> and you know you are. It's the people that are difficult to love that are also difficult to serve. And so I, I'm, I'm going to give you a practical challenge right now for this week. And I'm, I'm dead serious in my challenge of it. And it's on the hill. And it's not really, it's not me challenging you. I didn't write this. I'm just the delivery boy, okay? Jesus wrote it. I just try to deliver it. I, I want to challenge you to find someone this week that it's difficult for you to like. I will get nervous if 10 of you come to my office tomorrow ready to serve me. <laughs> I want to challenge you. Find someone. I mean, that is, it is difficult for you to serve them. And you make an intentional effort before you come back here next week to serve them in some way. Now, don't go up and say, may I wash your feet? That's a little weird, all right? <laughs> but you think of a way that you can serve them. And you make a point this week to go serve them. To do something that would wash their feet. Because we don't get to choose whose feet we wash we serve the people Jesus put in our path, and Jesus puts people in our path. Because you know what? Just as there are people who it's difficult for me to like and love, there are times, and I would say on days that in why, that I'm difficult for God to love. I've got to be difficult for God to love. I'm difficult for, for God to like. Yet He loves me in spite of my fallings and my failures. And my faults. Here's the reason. Let me try to put a bow on this. The reason we should take so seriously this call to serve others as Jesus has served us is so that we can point beyond us and point those people to Jesus. You see, when you think about what Jesus did in John 13, and you think about what Paul tells us about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, it's amazing how they parallel each other. Jesus rose from supper the night he served his disciples. Jesus, before that, rose from his throne in heaven that first Christmas and entered this world to save us. 
Jesus laid aside his garments in that upper room to take up that towel to wash those feet. And when he came to earth, in coming to earth, Jesus laid aside his glory so that he could appear as a man and not blind with his celestial glory those who would look upon him. Jesus took up that towel and he wrapped himself in that upper room in the garb of a servant, of a slave. And he came to earth and wrapped himself in the form of a servant, willingly and voluntarily. In that upper room, Jesus poured water into a basin that would wash the dirt away from the feet of the disciples. Shortly thereafter, Jesus will pour out his blood to the ground to wash away the sin of our hearts. When Jesus finished washing the feet of those disciples, it tells us in verse 12 that having completed the task, he returned to his place. Per Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, after making purification for sins, Jesus returned to the place that he left, heaven, and he sat down where he is today, sitting at the right hand of God, waiting for the Father to say, go get my children, go back to the earth and this time bring justice and bring judgment because it's time to wash away the sins of the heart you see jesus is not so concerned today about the dirt on your feet as he is the sin-stained heart that you have maybe you're here this morning and you've never placed faith in this Jesus who came to serve you. There's never been a time that you've been cleansed from your sins. Some good news this morning is that Jesus is simply a prayer away as you pray and confess your sins to him and repent and turn from those sins. Whoever calls the name of the Lord shall in no wise be cast out. Today, in just a few minutes, just a few seconds, I'm going to pray. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, as I pray, I, I, I would hope that you would do business with God. But let me speak to those of us who have done that business with God. And we have that relationship with God. Our natural posture is to turn inward and to serve self. Hey, man, I'm thankful when you drop money in the buckets for the Salvation Army, I drop money in it as well. I'm thankful that we as a church fill shoeboxes and send them to children that carries the hope of the gospel and, and explains to them the gospel. I'm so thankful we're a part of that. I'm, I'm thankful for how benevolent we become, that we really, we are all during the year. This church is such a benevolent church, but especially during this time of year, I'm so thankful for how benevolent we are in helping other people but I want you to go a step beyond that. I want to challenge you today, if you're a follower of Jesus, to follow the example of Jesus and not of Judas. To be someone who's not concerned with self, but someone who's going to serve others. This world needs to see Jesus in us. 
And they need to hear Jesus from us. I can't save anyone from their sins, but I can serve someone like Jesus has served me and use that to point them to him. Is there someone that God's put on your heart this morning? When I ask you to think about that person that was difficult to like, did someone come to mind? Did some people come to mind? Maybe in your family, maybe in your circle of friends, maybe somebody sitting in this room. Church is a family, and every family has got issues. Would you make a commitment, not to me. You make a commitment to me, you can break it pretty easy and not think about it, because I'm not going to chastise you for it, because I don't know if you keep it or not. Would you make a commitment to God today to simply be his hands and his feet? I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand and sing. The altar's going to be open. You can do business with God there, right where you are. Whatever God's calling you to do today, would you simply surrender to him? Father God, thank you that Jesus served, that his service was unexpected, and that he did for us the ultimate act of service in giving his life so we could be forgiven of our sins. Father, would you simply help us surrender today to take upon ourselves the form of a servant, Whatever you've placed upon our hearts, may we simply say yes. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.